All right, all right. What's going on, everybody? Sorry for a little delay there in getting started. I'm Justin Murphy, Other Life Podcast. What's happening? It's the first time I've live streamed in a while. For some reason, just the, the live stream has kind of receded a little bit in recent months. Uh, in favor of, uh, I've really been writing more in the newsletter, really focusing on the on the newsletter at otherlife.co. And actually, I mean, I've been doing a ton of stuff, actually. Um, a lot of news, a lot of updates. I won't even try to cover it all. I will. I will slowly share with you some uh, really big updates on how all my projects are evolving and, and where we're going in the next year. Very exciting stuff, especially for the community. We're really going to be doubling down on community. I'm pretty much reorganizing all of my business operations to make it more centered around community in the most kind of exciting and collectively empowering way possible. So like I said, it would be too much to uh, kind of spell everything out immediately, but the vision is grand and the vision is coming together. So um, it will be trickling out over time. But uh, yeah, I wanted to talk about a few different things that I just felt like firing up the live stream and doing a little solo podcast just because of this sense that, yeah, a little too much is brewing for too long and I got to start updating people on the on the video and the audio feed. Uh, well, I've been thinking a lot about time lately. I've actually maybe even been on something of a manic upswing in the past few months. I don't know what it is. Oh, yeah, my wife and I had a son as well. We had our first child. So just a ton going on. Really, really cool stuff. Um, and I've just been, I don't know, I've like, I've like locked into a new, uh, a new plane of existence. I'm thinking a lot more nowadays about time anomalies. I've been rereading some of the CCRU texts and I'm increasingly convinced that the CCRU is a very empirically serious social and political theory. You know, it's, there's, there's fiction writing involved and they're very playful with, with facts and, and truth versus fiction, but I'm increasingly reading the CCRU literally. And if you do so, it's really pretty remarkable how much they predict. I mean, I would even go so far as to say that the CCRU, and for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, the CCRU was a little para-academic theory group in the early 90s in Britain. Uh, probably the most famous person to come out of the CCRU was Nick Land. Um, uh, Mark Fisher, who was of a somewhat different generation, uh, but also kind of adjacent somewhat to those circles. They produced this really interesting kind of strand of, of social theory that is associated nowadays with the, with the themes of accelerationism. But a lot of people see them as a kind of interesting, quirky, kind of far out early 90s little oasis of kind of interesting idiosyncratic intellectual work. But I'm increasingly convinced that they pretty much had their finger on the pulse of empirical reality to a, to a, to an alarming degree and I don't think they get a lot of respect in in that sense you know there aren't many empirically sophisticated social scientists let's say who will read those texts with any amount of seriousness and the more I reread those texts the more I'm like wow the CCRU basically predicted crypto and defi and urbit even um in fact the, if I'm being perfectly honest the Alignment between the theoretical positions of the CCRU and the actual architecture of Urbit is so striking to me that it's one of the reasons why I'm increasingly bullish on Urbit and why my conviction in Urbit continues to harden. It's it's really quite remarkable. So I've been reading and rereading the CCRU with these observations in mind. Yeah, I've been learning how to have a child, which has been an interesting adventure in its own right. 
and uh, <laughs> Justin's hair and makeup time is at war with my free time, someone says in the chat. And, you know, the other thing that really made me fire up the live stream after a few months of not really using this medium is that I was encountering some of the old streams by uh, people like Martin Shkreli and uh, and George Hotz, if you, if you know that guy. Uh, Geo Hot is his name on the internet. And I was just basically kind of re-watching some of their older streams. And it rekindled my appreciation for this genre, basically. This genre of, you know, just random, solo, weird dude fires up the, the live stream and no plan, no agenda, just talks, answers questions, shares ideas. It's a unique genre, and it's pretty fun to watch. It's pretty fun to listen to. It's, it's, and it's, it's just a very, I think, rewarding medium for the person doing the live stream, but also for the listeners, or the watchers, the community, if you will, because it's just uh, radically authentic, and, and you can't fake it. So I just kind of admire how those guys... Martin Shkreli and, and Geo Hot uh, would do these like three hour live streams, just basically talking off the cuff. And, you know, I, I, many of you know, I, I, I did that for, for years, but I never, I don't know, I, I never really appreciated the art form fully, perhaps consciously. And it was only when I started watching some of these other guys who, who do this kind of style, although I didn't, I never even thought of myself as like in a tradition or in a genre like that, uh, did I start to appreciate, oh, you know, this is actually a very, interesting medium that I perhaps would like to try my hand at uh, doing more and, and perhaps in a more thoughtful way. So yeah, I'm happy to take questions. I have some notes that I jotted down for some topics uh, having a lot to do with time anomalies and, and time wars. Uh, these are these are themes that I'm kind of increasingly interested in as I return to the CCRU. Another thing I've also been returning to is I've been re-listening to Nick Land's uh, lectures from the New Center uh, years ago on Bitcoin and philosophy. And they're really, really good. They're really, really interesting. If you uh, haven't found them yet, you know, um, subscribe to my newsletter and then reply to one of my emails and ask me for for the links. I'll, I'll give it to you. This is, this is really, really top-notch listening. I highly recommend you give these a listen. So yeah, these are, these are some of the things I'm thinking about. Um, what have you all been up to? What's new in the world with you all? Pulsating Shadow says they're working on a land Georgiani synthesis. Their cosmologies are actually compatible. Okay. I don't know. I don't think I know anything about a Georgiani. Um, yeah. The CCRU is the Cybernetic Culture Research Unit. Little known fact, in the text, if you look closely, they actually provide a pronunciation guide. And at one point they say that it's pronounced Kakru. That, that's how they write it out phonetically at one point. I've never heard anyone say Kukru, and it just it sounds a little weird. So I don't think I'm gonna. I don't think I'm going to adopt that. But it is interesting to note that they do. They do seem to indicate that is how they intended the pronunciation. All right, Justin here asks, "What's up, Justin? My namesake. Where do I sign up for the free planet on Urbit? I'm a noob with tech, but would love to learn it. Yeah. So I'm giving out free planets. This is something I can tell everyone about and give some background on. It's kind of an interesting story. So I am the proud owner of a star called RipWet, and just to jog your memory, the Urbit Network, which is a totally open source, decentralized, peer-to-peer -peer internet, basically, has this interesting hierarchy where there's 256 galaxies. Those are kind of like the, you know, the ruling Senate, if you will, of the entire Urbit universe. They can't really do that much other than vote on uh, the Ethereum smart contracts that govern the identity system, basically. 
then there are um, each galaxy, of which there are 256, ge can generate up to 256 stars, okay? And then each star can generate about 65,000 planets, all right? And so the planet is the user identity. That's kind of the, the, the level of the orbit identity system that most individuals are going to use. No matter who you are, even if you're, you know, even if you are like a galaxy owner, you're going to interact as one planet, most likely. So that's kind of the day-to-day -day unit for the individual identity is the planet. So um, I am the proud owner of Ripwet, a star, and that means I can make 65,000 planets uh, or individual identities. And so a lot of people sit on stars as investment assets. I, the, the going rate for them at the moment is like $10,000 or something like that. Um, so I, I, could sell, I could sell a star for $10,000. Um, but I'm actually really pumped on Urbit. And I think it's more interesting to me and more valuable to me and to my community to actually run it and host it and issue planets from it and give those planets out. Okay, So I basically took this asset I had that was $10,000 of value. And I basically decided to, instead of saving it and letting it appreciate in value and selling it one day, um, I'm actually using it. And so that kind of depreciates the resale value of it, but it actually lets us do things with it. So that means I have 65,000 planets I can give out. Now I do have to pick, there is a, there is a fee involved per planet that I spawn that I create. Um, but thankfully the Tlon company is right now, um, rolling out some innovative technologies that are uh, cheapening the price of that that fee. So uh, Tlon is nice enough at the moment to eat the eat the cost themselves. So that means for all intents and purposes, I can create orbit planets up to 65,000 for free for anyone who wants them. Um, now, the <clears throat> only challenge or limitation is that there is only so many that I can create per week, basically. So I can do about 100 a week maximum. And so that's what I'm doing. And it's great. So I will give a planet to anyone who wants one for free. Uh, you just have to go to imperceptible.computer. All right. Uh, that's imperceptible.computer. Just drop your email and I will give you one. But there is a wait list. So since I can only do a thousand, I'm sorry, a hundred a week. Um, and there's something like right now, there's something like 13 or 1400 people on the waiting list. And it, it adds about more than a hundred a week. And I can only do a hundred a week. So yeah, I made a little option where if you want to um, drop 25 bucks, I'll put you to the top of the list um, just because I suspect some people want them more than others. Some people are more geared up to go than others. Some people are probably just dropping their email because they like free things. So I'll let you jump to the top if you just drop 25. And uh, I mean, what I'll also mention, I am not really hyping this yet because the vision is still kind of, um, you know, coming to fruition. But um as I alluded to at the beginning, I, I have like significantly revisioned the entire kind of like 10 year plan, let's say for, for the other life brand. And like I said, we're really focusing on community, but we're really focusing on web three, really not just web three, but web four, web five, web six, motherfucker. I want to future proof the other life community and make the other life community, maybe the first internet community that could last a hundred years. I'm just thinking that the way the current kind of software context for communities, the way it works on the internet right now is really, really bad. It's so bad people don't even really appreciate how bad it is because it's hard to imagine another alternative. But Urbit, though Urbit is still early, Urbit does portend a fundamentally different kind of software context for community. Urbit really does hold out the possibility that we as a community, let's say 100 to 1,000 to 10,000 people who follow my work or whatever, just are interested in the themes that I'm interested in my peers, you know, 
I don't like to think in terms of followers or fans. I think only, I think it's honestly, I think it's very lame for any adult man to consider themselves a fan of anyone else. Okay. So the people who, you know, um, follow my work or find interest in the things I'm talking about, I don't think of them as fans. I don't want fans, um, or followers. I don't, I don't think of people who, who, you know, are in my orbit as followers or fans, because that's disrespectful to them. And I just don't want that type of person. I want peers. I want interesting, intelligent, highly independent, high agency, you know, fellow writers, thinkers, creators, and peers. So I think to the degree that there are really badass people in my orbit, I think that to the degree we can actually build a truly forward-thinking community on the most futuristic technological rails available at this time in a way that is maximally future-proof. I believe there's this uh, extraordinary kind of once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to uh, begin building the preeminent kind of most sophisticated, most futuristic and future-proof internet community in the world right now on Urbit. Uh, because I just think I just think Urbit is going to, I don't know, it, I guess there's a little bit of faith involved. You never fully know these things, but when I look closely at it, I've done all these podcasts, as you've probably been seeing. Um, the more I talk to people, the more I go deep into the network. I mean, I'm deep in the network, honestly, now. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm like, on it all the time. I'm talking to people. I'm in a, a million different groups in the weeds of, like, the stuff that people are actually building. And I just, like, I pinch myself every day because I'm like, this is way fucking cooler than anyone I know talks about or anyone I know even realizes. So... It just feels to me like at all all signs point in the direction of like Urbit is badass and it is it is what you want out of a technological substrate for building communities over the really long term in a way that is truly um, autonomous, truly sovereign, and truly uh, future proof future proof with respect to Web three and crypto and all of that. Um, so it just feels both my mind and my heart, everything just kind of looks to me like. Urbit is the best bet for building a community right now. And I think that the communities that build on Urbit right now are going to possibly set themselves up to be some of the most powerful internet communities in the world, if indeed Urbit does continue to grow and um, attract a larger user base. So that's my that's my that's my wager. And and you know, I want to be decisive about this. I want to actually like put, you know, put my money where my mouth is. And so that's what I'm doing. And so Right. This is just a long, a long answer to the question of where to sign up for the free planet on Urbit. Just go to imperceptible.computer. Right. But the other thing I was going to tell you is that I am slowly, gradually pushing out towards a much larger um, kind of project or program of building on Urbit. So I'm not hyping this yet because I the, the, the parameters are not fully outlined in my mind perfectly clearly. Um, but right now it's going under the, the code word imperceptible. Uh, so we have not only imperceptible.computer, we also have now imperceptible.country, okay? And this, I believe, is going to be the other life's stab at the charter cities slash network state slash cloud country domain or megatrend that a lot of people think is, you know, one of the most exciting and promising kind of vectors of historical, social, political change right now. I tend to agree. I tend to be directionally agreed with that viewpoint, but I do think that it's still very, very early, early days. And I don't think the the theory of the network state has been at all adequately um, developed yet. And yeah, you know, as a, as a political scientist by, by training, even though I'm now, uh, you know, uh, deinstitutionalized, lone wolf wild man out on the internet i do 
think that the internet communities of the future will tend to become or uh, tend toward becoming sovereign political entities, aka nations or countries. And I, I, I want to take my stab at this uh, vision, basically. And even if it doesn't work out exactly that way, I do think that that metaphor or that frame is a very productive and and useful one. Um, even if even if the the ultimate endpoint of these experiments mm, perhaps goes in a different direction, I think I think it's a it's a very effective and uh, productive mm, frame for this moment for thinking about the next stage of where internet communities are are really going. And so yeah, you can check out imperceptible.country if you would like to learn more about that. But really the best way to follow all of this is just subscribe to the newsletter. If you're not subscribed to the Other Life newsletter, you're going to be missing out on on all of this stuff as it, as it evolves. So that's really the the center of everything. Make sure you're subscribed at otherlife.co. All right, what else we got? Um someone asked the question, everyone always asks this. Steven says, so there can only ever be around 4.3 billion urbit users. Uh, can it get bigger? Yeah, so that's not fully accurate because each planet can also spawn many, many moons, they're called. Um, moons are kind of like uh, subordinate entities within a planet. And so in the very, very, very long run, it would probably be like, oh, one family would have a planet and then each person in the family would have their own moon or something like this. So yeah, uh, there is some theoretical limit at which there would be no longer any urban identities. Um, but then I'm sure we would just figure out ways to to share it or chop it up. All right. Um, someone asked, was there a particular Geohot or Shkreli stream that inspired you? No, not really. And, you know, one of the interesting things about those guys and their their live streams is that, and this is what I found inspiring, honestly, is that a lot of them are quite boring. You know, it's not like it's not like there's a particular stream where it's like, whoa, this was fire. This was filled with so much uh, amazing insight and concentrated value. Like, no, not really. Actually, there a lot of them are super long with a lot of dead air. A lot of them are quite boring and empty. Um, but that's what kind of what I find cool about it is that it's its own kind of genre where you can do that. And, um, there's a certain kind of rhythm that people enjoy. There's a, there's a certain way to kind of like a lot of Geohot streams are like six hours or whatever. And it's a lot of dead air. It's a lot of him like clicking around or whatever. Um, but there's something kind of, uh, hypnotizing about that for people. And I just find that kind of interesting. So in a way it's, it's, I, I like that genre of, um, uh, you know, just kind of random live streams because it, I don't know, I find it, I find it kind of interesting from the creator perspective because, you know, when you write newsletters and you write, you know, essays and stuff like that, you try to be, you know, you try to really concentrate with value. You know, you want to be uh, concise and you want to um, give people value, you know, in, in an efficient way. You don't want to waste people's time with fluff or whatever, but there's something about the live stream format and medium that um, there is a way to do it that, where, where you, you take your time and it's random and you're not obsessed with like providing super concentrated um, value or what have you. So um, that's kind of what inspired me, honestly. Someone says they recommend a paper called Existence is Evidence of Immortality by Michael Humer. Huh. Using Bayesian reasoning and the, anthrop and the anthropic principle, he argues for infinite reincarnation. Huh. Okay. Seems pretty far out there. Uh what else? Someone says, as a Christian, I can't help but find this sort of postmodern metaphysical philosophy to be insane. Yeah, see, I think you're referring to the to the CCRU. See, I don't think that. I actually think the well, okay. On one level, it is true. The CCRU is atheistic and they do seem to kind of put on one side 
God and monotheism and the forces of traditional human power and control and oppression. That is true. And then on the other side, the, the forces of, you know, what they call Lemuria, uh, the, the cyber Gothic K-War insurgency. On that side, on the other side, that is, they do put the forces of kind of atheism, drugs, social liberalism, feminism. They, 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 they do have this, this rough dichotomy. That is true. But I'm just not convinced that that's fully correct, basically. I think, I think they, they advance our understanding in a lot of quite sophisticated ways. But I do think that there's room to, to disagree about how God in particular maps out onto the CCRU um, kind of uh, eschatology. And I haven't thought this through fully, but the way that I would um, suggest you understand that is something like the following. The CCRU is constantly saying that, you know, the end is at the beginning, the beginning is at the end, and that technological acceleration um, is not bringing us to some like exotic, novel, new futuristic place. It's actually bringing us back to the beginning. Technological acceleration brings us back to the beginning. It brings us to these to the primitive forms um, and all of the Lovecraftian horror imagery. In a, in a lot of ways, that is like the primordial, the horrifying primordial blobs at 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 the beginning of life. That is where digital acceleration is bringing us into the future. We are, we are being liquefied into these primordial blobs in a way is is one way to to cast it. And I tend to think that rather digital acceleration is bringing us to meet our maker is how I would think about it. And I think that's pretty consistent with the the Christian eschatology. And I think that it, this is just a um, a fairly straightforward uh, point of debate or point of disagreement uh, that one could have with the CCRU. And you know, if you read someone like Saint Augustine, for instance, and and you look at his notion of the two cities, the city of God and the city of Earth. I'm inclined to read that in a way that maps on to, to the CCRU. So St. Augustine himself has this kind of mental model where, you know, the, the, the good and evil in the world is uh, rapidly bifurcating, where, you know, his whole philosophy is that all the humans scattered around the world are, comp- are ultimately break down into these two cities. So the two cities, according to St. Augustine, are, they're not geographical, um, you know, spaces. Um, the people of the world all over scattered can either be in the city of God or they can be in the city of earth. You can't be in both. And these are these people who belong to one or the other city. They're geographically scattered. So in any one geographical locale, you're going to have some people in the city of God and some people, you know, in the city of earth um, or the city of man, the earthly city or the city of man. And what he argues, his mental model is that history which we today might think of as technological acceleration to, to map this to CCRU, technological acceleration is basically causing the increasingly visible separation of the city of God and the city of man. Okay. So that's what I tend to think. I, I tend to think that that's quite, that's quite right. That's, that's pretty empirically accurate as far as I can tell. And, and it's, and it's pretty important. That actually gives you real leverage over understanding what, what's going on in the world at any given time. And so yeah, I think that's just a productive point of disagreement between a kind of Christian accelerationism and the more atheist accelerationism that you get from the CCRU. But nonetheless, the, I think the CCRU uh, has one of the most sophisticated and advanced set of mental models for um, even just getting up to the point where we can you know, theoretically comprehend technological acceleration in, in this way. 
then you can, you know, take issue where you want to. And that's one, that's one point I would take issue on. So it's a good point there, David, the gnome. All right. What else we got? What else? So, um, yeah, so I was reading just earlier today, for instance, this one essay in the CCRU book, which you can get from the Urbanomic Press. It's just, it's basically an anthology, a collection of all their writings. And in the very first sections, if you read this one piece, it's called uh, Review of CCRU's Digital Hyperstition. It's pretty, it's pretty remarkable. I mean, this book is just filled with incredibly prescient um, kind of theoretical snippets. Like this essay, pretty much you can find whole paragraphs that are literally predicting DeFi and crypto. And this is well before you know, there was any crypto. So let me give you some examples, right? I want to re- I'll read you some, some snippets from the, um, from this essay. So they say the primitive comes last at the end, which is cyber hype techonomics, the so-called new economy indexed by the Nova bubble mania of the American stock market is no different in its diagrammatic abstraction to the hyperstitious practices of the plateau of Lang. That's a Lovecraft place. Relics of lost Lemuria, from which the bond sorcerers, sorceress, or sorceress, sorry, sorcerers of ancient Tibet assembled their dread cult. Alan Green, Greenspan calls it irrational exuberance. Okay, so this is just a setup. They're basically, they're basically saying that in the excesses of pre-digital market dynamics, basically stock market bubbles, the, they foresaw a pattern that would only be radicalized by digital technology. So, th- so they saw where this is going, and and they saw that digital technology would um, not bring market dynamics to some new futuristic place, but it would actually bring it to to an old place, to to that kind of horrifying primordial form at at at, at the beginning of time. Okay, so again, if you have a more Christian bent, you, it's easy to it's easy to see how you could um, argue that uh, just switch out a couple of the terms, but keep the same structure, and it actually matches the Christian eschatology. Um, and so another thing that's interesting about the CCRU is that they, uh, they're, they're pretty specific in what they're, what they're diagnosing. When they talk about th- this term cyber hype techonomics, we can look closely and really uh, kind of unpack what they mean by that by, by looking at how they describe it. So according to their viewpoint, cyber hype techonomics, hint, it's basically what all the crypto uh, communities do, what all the token communities do, the DAOs do. Um, the NFT culture, all of the stuff that you're seeing in crypto land right now is basically precisely what uh, the CCRU called cyber hype techonomics. And so let's look closely at what they say specifically. Um, they say, whatever or however it is called, cyber hype libidinally invests its own semiotic, propagating fictional quantities, tagging artificial agencies, and making itself up as it goes along while dissolving production into cultural synthesis. As it gets cheaper, it gets harder to stop running away off itself and into abstraction catastrophe, okay? A self-assembling terrestrial destiny softening up social reality for flat takeover by the cyber hype entity, hyper seizure. So, you know, a lot of people see the CCRU as like, oh, they were just kind of doing too much Adderall and they got really creative. And yeah, okay, they have some some kind of heady concepts and some of their essays are fun and zany to read. This is, this is how a lot of people say it. Honestly, even a lot of the fans of CCRU, the people who like the CCRU often, you know, aren't really able to, inv- to, in- to, in- to advance their understanding beyond that. It's kind of like this interesting, exciting, stimulating body of work, but it's not taken very carefully and seriously as, as empirical diagnosis. So, so let's do this. Watch, I'll show you like going over the paragraph that we just read. 
um, <clears throat> we can break down what exactly is this cyber hype techonomics that they describe. Well, we can say a few things. One, it first, it establishes a semiotic or a system of signs. Um, that's what they say. And, and to them, that means a system of signs can be a, a system of numbers, a system of agencies, a system of individual names. Whether these names or agencies exist or not doesn't really make a difference to them. Uh, whether the numbers add up to something that would be considered sensible to a, you know academic mathematician, that doesn't really matter to them. The point is, you start with a semiotic system, any set of signs, essentially. And then you invest that semiotic with libidinal desire, essentially. And when they talk about libidinal investment, you know, it's worth pausing on, on what this means exactly. It, I think the easiest way to think about it concretely is that libidinal investment is basically the, it's like the, char the charismatic or the seductive signature of real art, basically. Like f when art works, when art really takes hold on someone's soul, it, 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 it triggers this kind of physiological response, this kind of um, charismatic effect or seductive effect. And that I would say is, is kind of the, the hardcore of, of what they mean when they talk about libidinal investment. So you start with any set of signs, it doesn't matter. Then this is what you see with crypto, right? Like you just, you can name your token, anything you, you mint an ERC 20 token on the, on Ethereum, you give it some name, you give it some ticker. It, what, what does that ticker have a meaning? No, it's, it's, it's just a signifier. It's a, it's a radically decontextualized signifier. Uh, and then you create like a, you know, a logo, a meme, a this, a that you just basically set up uh, a meaningless system of signs, a semiotic, then you invest it with libidinal desire. And, and that's basically art, kind of social creativity, right? You get sexy people to endorse it. You write interesting blog posts. You make interesting memes. This is all basically just, you know, art, whether you like it or not. Um, you know, it's human creativity, um, seducting the senses of other people, uh, indulging in, in, you know, other people's desires. And if you can invest your semiotics with libidinal investment, if you can get other people to be charismatically um, attracted to your to your semiotic system, then guess what? Your token starts gaining value on the open market. Okay, and and this is exactly what they foresaw way before there was ever any crypto. So look at what they say. Uh, uh, just a few lines down, they say, um, um, uh, Hang on, let me find it. They, they talk about um, currencies in particular. They say, yeah, they say when hyper-cybernetics kicks in, the cyber prefix means nothing anymore. It culturally disorganizes itself into diagrammatic splinters and libidinal triggers. Brands, jargons, virus, currency tokens, and traffic signals. Fragments of marketing strategy gone feral. Cyberpunk fictional brands or improper names. Markers of meaningless involvement the passwords of machinic delirium. Okay. I mean, how good is that? How prescient is that? M listen to that passwords of machinic delirium. You know what that's referring to? The seed phrase of your, of your MetaMask wallet, your private keys. Okay. What are private keys? Your private keys to your crypto wallet. That's a password of machinic delirium, machinic delirium, meaning uh, th these are radically meaningless phrases, right? The, the seed phrase for your MetaMask wallet, those are words, right? Those are pronounceable human words, but that string of words doesn't mean anything whatsoever. It's just, it's just a password. Uh, and yet we have all of these different layers of access that, comp that, that compose what is now called Web3. And there are all of these kind of human words, and yet they don't really mean anything. This is machinic delirium. And so just think 
um, you know, what was the CCRU onto that allowed them to establish these theoretical diagnoses in the early 90s, way before any of these things uh, manifested in, in technological reality? To me, when I see that, I'm like, you know, this is real alpha. <laughs> this is real um, empirical sophistication that um, was vindicated through the course of time. And if you don't think twice about that and really respect that, you know, you're 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 going to miss out on on the next wave of the future. I think so. So I take this I take this stuff very seriously, and I think we should be rereading the CCRU uh, with a with a specific eye towards detecting um, the near future and predicting the near future. Because you know, whenever you come across a body of theoretical work that is prescient with respect to the subsequent unfolding of history or technology, you have to give that credit and you have to pause and you have to, you know, take stock because that's not easy to do. So yeah, let's see if anyone has questions or, or comments on this. I also wrote a piece recently, um, actually just dropped on um, the Other Life newsletter, which I thought was quite interesting and kind of connects to all of this. Let me uh, share the screen actually. Second to do, yeah. So, if we look at uh, this piece that I dropped today called The Two Paths to Power, I wrote this because it was increasingly clear to me that the two different paths to power, which are well known, but I don't think well understood, basically uh, the bottom up path versus the top down path. Most people have some mental model of, of this. You know, there's top down ways to uh, influence the world or to have power. And there's bottom up ways to influence the world or have power, but people really are sleeping on the degree to which these two are, um, really radically distinct and often mutually exclusive. Like these are now two different camps of the world. These are fundamentally two different ways of operating in the world. And you kind of can't do both. And a lot of people are getting wrecked in their personal life because they're over-indexing on some top-down model that doesn't exist anymore. Okay, so this connects to what the CCRU says about, you know, viral, tech viral techniques um, and what we were just talking about with viruses and currencies and this kind of, um, you know, semiotic libidinal bootstrapping of, of kind of reality fragments. You know, all of that is based on a radically bottom up kind of mental model. Okay, and I would argue that pretty much everything interesting now only is generated through bottom-up path to power. And most of the dominant kind of institutional world is all predicated on top-down paths. So as I talk about in this essay, you know, um, like the entire Northeast corridor of the Amtrak is, you know, everything from Washington, D.C. to New York City to Harvard. These are the quintessential institutions of the top-down path to power. And of course, Hollywood and Los Angeles, that, that entire kind of West Coast media complex is also just quintessentially top down all of all of that power all of those power centers are based on a top down model where you basically have to get some um entity to approve of you and to sponsor you and to then broadcast you to all of their people that they have kind of captured in their in their broadcast remit that's roughly what the top down structure is and it worked for many years right for all of the 20th century the top down path to power was the dominant one on the East Coast and the West Coast. And the reason is because of their monopoly on broadcasting power. So when broadcasting capacity is scarce and there's only a few microphones to be had and there's a few big players who have the big microphones, then yeah, you have to pursue a top-down path to power. You have to get someone to approve of you. And then you know they give you their microphone and you get to be Tom Brokaw or whatever and speak to the world. Um, but in today's world, as we 
increasingly see, but we still don't fully appreciate or don't fully understand. Um, there are new, there are fundamentally novel pathways to power. And this is the class of, of power pathways we might call just roughly the bottom up class. And there are certain defining features um, that, that make these incommensurable with the top down path. So people who get their power through the bottom up pathways are increasingly the, the political enemies of those who have their power through the top down. And no one really talks about this, but these are, this is basically a kind of invisible war going on um, kind of for the heart of power in America and, for, and, and potentially in the world. Just America is, um, you know, the kind of the epicenter of the world, not to be like American exceptionalist, but that's just a fact. And there is this kind of invisible war being played out between people who have power through the top down path and people who have power through the bottom up path. So I just try to unpack this and spell this out a little bit more explicitly in the newsletter that I sent out this morning. And it really connects to the to the CCRU stuff. It connects to crypto. It connects to um, these these larger questions of of time war. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. I made that the title of this live stream uh, for a reason. And that's just where things get kind of really crazy when you start thinking about uh, time itself and you know the the very the very record of history and who manufactures that and its potential to be fundamentally revised in a kind of late stage of technological acceleration, when you really start to think that through, you start to realize that at this moment in time, the world is not just, you know, being torn apart by these competing reality factions, these different uh, competing versions of reality in the present. But when you really think about where that's going, you realize that what this is really about is it's about control of the future and the past. Because the camp that wins um, the faction, whether that's a DAO or a country or a network state, whatever entity wins is going to, at a certain stage of history, is going to have the money and the technological power to um, essentially rewrite the entire known history of, of, of the planet, potentially, possibly. And um, if that is, in fact, the case, then the stakes are incredibly high. This, this, it's really, really important that you have a correct kind of mental model of of how technology works, of how the world works, of how of how politics really works. And no one's going to tell you any of this stuff. This is all esoteric in a technical sense. It's like you can't find it anywhere. You, If I'm right, um, then there's nowhere to find that. There's, there's no one person or entity or agency that was going to be able to validate this for you. Basically, people have to basically make their own bets about what is the nature of reality, what is the structure of reality, um, whose timeline are we really on, whose timeline do you really want to bet on, and uh, that's what I mean by time wars. So yeah, in my in my mental model, the the bottom up path to power is now the overwhelmingly dominant one. All of the interesting dynamics in the world will from now on come up through a radically bottom up path to power. You're already seeing this in in you know certain obvious cultural domains like YouTube stars and you know SoundCloud rappers are just kind of the easy examples. That's the low hanging fruit. You know these are people who you know they don't need to quote unquote get signed by a label like rappers did for their entire history. That was like what they needed to make it. Now, like all you need is like a mega hit on SoundCloud and you can, and you've made it basically. You might choose to still get signed or whatever. I'm not saying all of that is over, um, but I'm just saying the, the, the key filter determining someone who's out of the game and someone who's winning in the game, uh, that filter in the bottom up path is, is, a, is a categorically distinct type of filter. The mechanism of, of power generation is just a fundamentally different mechanism. And you're seeing all these invisible wars, as I said, 
uh, where top-down power holders from yesterday are trying to rein in and capture the new bottom-up power mechanisms or power pathways. And one of the best examples of this is YouTube. Have you ever noticed that on YouTube, the uh, n- the n- the network news channels like ABC or NBC, NBC or whatever, they dominate the news section. If you go to YouTube and you click into the news section, almost all the clips are from network news like NBC, CBS, whatever. That's not by accident. That's not because those news networks happen to make the segments that people most like when they look for news. No, that's not that that's purposely done. That's that's a that's a policy choice by YouTube to only show you the network news. Um and so the old school uh top-down newscasters basically have captured YouTube and they have defined the news in a way that maintains the power of the those who got their power through the, this kind of top-down logic. Um, the the possibility for bottom-up like grassroots news content is is artificially and politically suppressed on YouTube because it's been captured by um, the top-down power holders. So you have to really kind of um, understand these distinctions to see the kind of invisible conflicts that, that are playing out, which you know um, are not going to be reported to you really anywhere because they're they're kind of beneath they're they're beneath the plane of of of, of public debate. Essentially, they structure. Uh, what public debate uh, is even capable of of conceiving, basically. All right, so yeah, very interesting stuff here. Um, I don't want to I don't want to talk for too long, um, but those were some of the themes that I wanted to share. I did want to talk about uh, some of these ideas from my newsletter that I published today. You can go and get that yourself at otherlife.co. That's going to be where I really kind of develop um, a lot of the the next big steps for the other life community. Basically, I'll give you the foreshadow. We're going to build a DAO, and it's going to be on Urbit. And I think that the other life community is going to, you know, I have a vision where I believe we might be able to make one of the most sophisticated and preeminent internet communities in the world um, because we will, I think, make certain wagers about um, technology, about the, the the directionality of technology, about where all this is going. And I want to, I don't want to skate to where the puck is. I want to skate to where the puck is going to be in a hundred years, in a thousand years. And I do really think, I wrote about this in a newsletter a few weeks ago, that the most important thing in the world right now is to be correct. If you can just be correct about one non-trivial thing that most other people are incorrect about, and you can really be correct, and you can make sure that you're correct, and you, you can kind of obsess about it and and really um, check your mental models and refine your mental models and try to disprove yourself, but get to a point where you feel truly strong conviction about something that's not trivial, that not everyone already knows, and in fact, ideally, that that many people don't see or disagree with, if you can just find one thing that you're truly correct about that's not trivial, then... Um, you can do incredibly well in life simply by betting on that one thing and, and, and allocating your effort around that one thing. And so I'm not, look, I'm not saying that I think like Urbit is the end all be all of everything. And I'm like 100%, hundred percent convinced that it's perfect. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not like shilling Urbit. I'm just saying that, um, to me, it's one of the most, underrated things that I've personally ever come across because I just happen to be deep into it. I happen to be talking closely with the people building it. And I happen to be playing around with like, like there are apps on Urbit. People are shipping apps on Urbit. And, and still, when you read about Urbit on the internet, everyone is just like, this is vaporware art project. You can't do anything with it. It's fake. It's just a dream. And it's like, I see the massive gap between what people say about it negatively and what is actively 
working on it right now. Like, look, let me actually let me let me let me show you some things. Like, people don't people don't get this. So, um, by the way, my my group is like blowing up because now I'm offering free planets to people. Um, we have like 728 participants in the group now. Um, so it's growing at like about what like about 200 people per month at this point, which for Urbit is is pretty fast. Um, so basically, I think. First of all, uh, I'm going to make the other life group, aka the imperceptible city, is what I call it. Um, I, my goal is to make it one of the fastest growing groups on Urbit. Um, we will then, I think, in a stage two, have a private group that is just for citizens of the imperceptible country. I'm calling it the larger kind of DAO um, for the other life community, which will be basically a community-owned community. Um, like strictly speaking, the uh, the community down to the actual software the 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 real estate that the community lives on will itself be owned by the community okay and urbit is the only network where you can say that kind of thing because your identity on urbit you own it strictly it's it's strictly private and uh no, it's 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 immutable no one can take it from you or or tamper with it so long as you have your private keys it's the only social network platform in the world where you can say that um you know come onto my community and you have complete ownership and control of your identity you can't really no community builder can offer that to their community members except building on urbit and so um this is one of the reasons why i'm i'm like having a somewhat almost like a manic uh kind of manic upswing around urbit right now is because i i'm like connecting all these thoughts and i'm like i have to pinch myself like is this um you know how how do other people why do other people not see this or 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 what am i missing here anyway i'll show you like uh so yeah the the group itself is is growing fast and i intend to um, continue it growing, and then we'll have kind of some some gated tiers, basically, depending on your level of investment and level of involvement uh, in the group. I don't mean investment in a financial sense. I mean I mean investment in terms of um, how active and a contributor you are to the group. We'll have uh, kind of different tiers of participation. But the the imperceptible city, I'm planning to be just a large, growing kind of uh, chaotic, you know, nexus of of you know online hypercultures pretty much like what the CCRU envisions uh, in, the, in the crypt. That's, that's the term that the CCRU, use, the CCRU uses. Uh, the, what they call the crypt and the way they theorize the crypt maps on almost perfectly to what Urbit really is. So uh, quite fascinating. But let me show you. So if we go to um, the grid, this is what they call the grid on Urbit. Um, and let me uh, change this. Yeah, I'm giving out Urbit planets at imperceptible.computer if you want to. Um, ask for one. You just have to wait. If you don't want to pay, you just have to wait. And I'll, I'll get every one on planet, I promise. Um, these are apps, okay, that you're seeing on the screen here. If you're listening on the podcast without the video, uh, I'm just showing a quick tour of Urbit. I'll narrate it by voice as well. Um, and so look at, for instance, um, the Studio app. The Studio app here is, this is a Substack clone on Urbit, okay? You can create a notebook on your Urbit computer and you can publish a newsletter, an email newsletter, fully functional website and email newsletter directly from your private notebook on your private Urbit computer. That's pretty badass in my opinion. Uh, and it's free, right? So um, this is just a toy example. I'm not like doing anything with it yet. But um, if you go to my uh, group, for instance, if you go to the, the Other Life group, there's a notebook in here called the Imperceptible Review, Okay. It's just a fun name that I gave it. And these are this is a, this is an Urbit notebook you're looking at. And these are posts in the notebook. And um, so here is just, it's like a blog post. That's the 
an Urbit notebook is basically like a blog. Um, and if you go to this URL here, um, you can see the website version of that notebook. So here you see two posts. I have this one post, just to, some draft thoughts on uh, port cities on digital land is the name of this post, and then a welcome post. Uh, so this is like a little a little Substack clone, a minimalist Urbit Substack clone that is created automatically from just typing into my Urbit notebook. Okay, and see, look, it it allows for you know subscribers, like people can drop their email and subscribe to my to this email list. And so here's the cool thing to appreciate. Anytime that someone posts in this Urbit notebook, it will get sent out to that email newsletter and it'll get its own webpage in that little Substack clone website. But here's the cool thing. Um, and I can let anyone I want submit to this um, notebook. So I can, I, can, I can arrange the permissions. I can say anyone in this group is allowed to create a notebook post, in which case anyone in the group can send out to the email newsletters. So that's pretty. that alone is a, a kind of Urbit affordance that... Um, is actually not easy to implement on other platforms, right? So, um, of course, blo different blog services like Ghost or Substack will, you know, they will develop a multi-author support. You can have multiple author accounts. But it's what's interesting to note is that with Urbit, it's already baked in automatically. And the reason that this is important is because in stage two of all of this, you're going to have DAOs, distributed autonomous organizations, decentralized autonomous organizations that have their own currency that are business operations where anyone in the group can publish to the newsletter. And if that newsletter is making money, that money can automatically be split among all those people in that DAO or, or depending on contributions. So this kind of, you have to imagine in the near future, pretty much everything that's done for money on the internet is going to be DAOified. In other words, you're going to have decentralized entities that can do it where different individuals can contribute in different ways. Um, and dynamically payments will be split up among those people based on the different kind of contracts that they're embedded in or the different types of work that they're putting out. So basically it's it's not that hard to understand why Urbit is uniquely uh, well-suited. It's uniquely powerful for this next stage of decentralized, commercialized, uh, liquid content creation and profit sharing that you're seeing already with DAOs. Um, so you already have DAOs like on Discord or whatever that are um, you know, doing collective creative work together. But you can't really make the, uh, the, the content and the permissions and the payments truly smoothly programmatic um, through Discord. But as you can see with, subs with, with Urbit uh, and the way that multi-author logic is already kind of baked into the primitives of, of the system, um, it's easy to see that Urbit is, at least in my opinion, as far as I can tell, Urbit is going to be the place where this kind of smooth DAOification of collective content creation, it's going to take place on Urbit before it takes place anywhere else because of these affordances that are built into the network. At least that's my wager. That's that's what I think is going on here. That, that, that's how I think about it. So it's like no one even knows that you can do this stuff on, on Urbit yet. Here's what it looks like for what it's worth. Um, you just you can set these things up in, in the studio app. You just set up a few settings and you have your own website and email newsletter. It's, it's badass. That's just one example. Um, there are others... Um, which maybe I'll show you at a different time, but um, yeah, I'm I'm hype. I think it's like way more interesting and and exciting, and stuff is happening way faster than anyone realizes. So it's suddenly dark in my room. I have to uh, turn the light on. Let's say blind myself. Okay, all right. Someone in the chat says crypto is the exemplar of you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. That is totally false. That is such a loser way to think about it. Crypto in the long run, when it's when it's really figured out, it's going to be the exemplar of 
everyone will own everything that they contribute to. I mean, I, I really do think that because you're already seeing it and it's, it's still so early. Um, you're already seeing platforms and protocols that are literally owned by the users. And I think people aren't going to want to go back from that. Like w- once it's been shown that you can do that, every passing year, people are going to be less and less willing to participate on any social platform that they don't own. Because that's what crypto is training people to realize that you can get paid to use platforms. If you are contributing to a platform, you should have a share of ownership. You should be effectively getting paid by what you contribute. Um, You should have a kind of stake in the platforms that you're contributing to, and you should see dividends from it. And uh, because that's possible, and we're seeing real live examples of it, people are going to not settle for anything less. So that's that's what I think. Um, Yeah, and someone also says in the chat, not only that, but with Discord, they will censor you. Yeah, absolutely. They've, if you already noticed, they uh, just this week they updated their like guidelines and policies to prohibit quote unquote misinformation. People don't realize like that's impossible. You cannot you cannot prohibit uh, misinformation. That that whole game is over. Yeah, uh, adjust the focus there. Yeah, um, any social platform that says it's going to prohibit misinformation is basically just. Uh, locking itself into arbitrary censorship because um, there is no adequate bright line between correct information and misinformation that's not politically contestable. So you either have hardcore cryptographically secured free speech and privacy, like non-censorability, or you are going to get politicized censorship. Okay, So once again, it's one of the many kind of uh, arrows pointing to Platforms like Urbit being the, the the best place right now that you can build a community, I think. At least that's how I think about it. But look, honestly, I don't want, I'm not a shell. Like I'm not here to, you know, this is a wager. People have to take their own wagers. Um, I, you don't really know the future um, and uh, only time will tell, but these are some of the things that I'm thinking about. So, all right, this was fun. I think I'm going to call it a night. This was fun kind of catching up with everyone on the live stream and, uh, you know, doing a little solo podcast for those of you listening on the podcast. It was good to update you on just some of the, some of the key ideas I'm thinking about, some of the theoretical themes and uh, giving you a little bit of, um, you know, some foreshadowing of, of where I want to take the community and why. I, I mean, I've been thinking about, I've been thinking about the long-term future of internet communities for a very long time and very seriously. So, you know, um, I can't just tell you in one live stream like all of the all of the kind of realizations or ideas or assumptions going into the the ten year plan for the other life community as I'm currently thinking about it. But I but I am going to start sharing it over time, and and I'm going to kind of fill out this 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 picture of where I think the world is going and how I plan to build the other life brand and the other life community, especially um, uh, in in the right direction in a way that will use you know, all of the technological affordances available to us now and in the near future to build a community that is truly owned by everyone in the community, um, that is sensor proof, that is, you know, autonomous and potentially in the long run, even sovereign in a sense. So, um, yeah, I'm super pumped, uh, that the, the 10 year vision is increasingly clear in my mind and I'm, uh, it's, it's been fun to jump on here and uh, reconnect in a live in a live way, which I haven't done in a while. So, um, yeah, I got to get my routines and my kind of daily schedules down a little bit after the baby. The baby's obviously, you know, the, deba- the baby's been amazing and he's he's great, by the way. Mother and son are both uh, perfectly well and healthy. Thanks for everyone asking. Uh, so we're very blessed. Uh, and I'm starting to kind of, um, you know, return to a normal work schedule. 
So I need to I need to kind of solidify my 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 daily and weekly routines. Uh, so it's something that I'm working on at the moment. But um, I do have some hope that the the occasional solo live stream slash podcast will uh, perhaps make its way back into the to the normal routine. But for the past few weeks, and certainly certainly for right now, the uh, the newsletter is kind of the workhorse of everything. I'm really focusing on writing and solidifying, you know, my my kind of high level diagnoses of politics and technology and, and the future of all these things on the newsletter. So make sure you're subscribed at otherlife.co if you're not already. And, um, yeah, the, the new version of the other life community on Urbit, the, the proto DAO proto network state version of the other life community is in fact available. You can already sign up for it now, but like I said, I'm not hyping it quite yet. Um, because I'm still, I'm still getting it super clarified in my mind, but it is an early version of it is available. If you want to go to imperceptible.country, uh, you could, you know, choose to become a member of the community if you want, but, uh, stay tuned. I'll be, I'll be kind of explaining more about how it's going to work over time. So yeah, thanks for watching on YouTube or listening. If you're listening on your phone, on the podcast feed, thanks for, you know, following, following my work as always. I appreciate your interest. And, uh, yeah, if you ever want to talk or, you know, discuss anything. The easiest thing to do is just to hit reply on one of my email newsletters because I'm very diligent with email. So, um, you know, that would be my suggestion. Thanks everyone. I appreciate you. Take it easy until next time. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. You made it all the way to the very end. So you must really like the show. In that case, I would be super grateful if you'd be so kind to leave a review on Apple podcasts. All you have to do is go to otherlife.co slash review. That's otherlife.co forward slash review. And it'll send you an Apple podcast. Just leave a review. You can be honest. 